I'm glad that y'all are here this morning. I missed y'all last week. Um, I know that we had a special program last week with the commission, and uh, Seth Hardage did a good job speaking, and I'm thankful for the opportunity that we had to have all those college students and host them last weekend, and uh, what a blessing it was to us. Um, I'm hoping that you'll travel today over to Colleen with us. At uh, 4 o'clock, we have a special service, an anniversary celebration service with Westside Baptist Church in Colleen, 711 Stagecoach Road. And uh, if you want to meet us over there, that's great at 4 o'clock. Wow. If you want to meet here, uh, we're going to load the bus, I think, about... 2.45, so we're going to leave out of here about 3 o'clock with the bus, so if you want to ride with us, you're welcome to. We'll carpool and figure out a way over there, but um, I hope that you'll come and celebrate with us. Our choir will be there singing, and, and uh, I'll be speaking at uh, Pastor Hallie Tolbert Jr.'s 29th anniversary uh, as pastor of Westside Baptist Church. But uh, what a blessing it is to, to be a part. You know, in a, in a day and age where our society is so divided, it's a blessing when we can get together with brothers and sisters in Christ and worship together. Amen. I mean, they might all be divided, but we are one. Amen. We have one Savior, we have one Lord, and we belong to Him. Amen. And I love that. I love the fact that... Uh, you know, I, I love our church, I love where we're at, I love what we're doing, and I'm thankful to be a part of Memorial Baptist Church. This morning I want to continue as, we, uh, as I finish up actually this series that we've been in on the uh, Ten Commandments. Uh, excuse me, Paul uh, had writing to Timothy, he gave him uh, basically Timothy's Ten Commandments for success, and uh, I want to say spiritual success. And you know, the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy, and uh, he was trying to salvage the mess that was going on in the church at Ephesus. And when Timothy got there, he found himself way in over his head. The entire leadership was older than he was, and they didn't respect his leadership. And to make matters worse, Timothy was shy and a little bit timid, so he had a tendency to avoid confrontation. The stress of his ministry assignment was really affecting his health and causing him to be sick and really have these constant stomach ailments. And in his letters to Timothy, Paul records his own strategy for Christian victorious living. And I want to give you, I just want to recap these, these ten commandments, if you will. The first one that Paul gave him was to keep your motives pure. You're involved in ministry, which that's each one of our jobs is ministry, is to keep your motives pure in that. Secondly, keep growing in Christ. Don't stop growing. Keep growing in Christ. The third one was make prayer a way of life. Pray at all times without ceasing. The fourth one was to stay focused on what matters. It's easy for us to get off of being focused on what matters. There's so many things that happen in life that are trivial, and it's easy for us to, to not stay focused on that. The, the, the fifth one is to walk in the Spirit's power. If you're not walking in the Spirit's power, you're not plugged into the power source. 
The sixth one is to measure success by God's standards. Many times we want to measure success by how well we look compared to someone else. But really, we need to be looking at what God's standard is. Because His is the standard by which we will be measured. His standard is the one that matters. The seventh one is to guard your closest relationships. Because those that you hang around with, those who you spend time with, are the, is what you're going to become like. They're going to have an influence on you. So you need to guard those, those closest relationships. The eighth one is to keep yourself pure. You know, there's a lot of things that can move us away from being pure. I mean, scripture says, God says, be, be pure as I am pure. Be holy as I am holy. Number nine was master the word of God. I mean, we have the opportunity to read God's word as much as we want. We could read it all that we care to. And we should. We should know the word of God. We have it. The problem isn't on his end. He's given it to us. We just need to know the word of God. And number 10 is this. And I hope this is an encouragement for you today. Never quit. Never quit. Stick with it. Stick with it. Never quit. 2 Timothy, I want to begin reading in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. And if you have your Bible and would follow along, uh, that would be great. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read down through verse 16. Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus, and the books, especially the parchments. Verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. 
Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in this place today. A place that is prepared to worship you. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. Father, that you would open us up and and that your Holy Spirit would convict us. Father, that we would see the, the sin that so easily entangles us and trips us up. I pray, Father, that as a result of you and your presence here with us, that, Father, we would be forever changed today. Lord, we love you. We honor you and we say thank you for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So really my encouragement for you is never give up. Don't give up. And as Paul says here to Timothy, you need to fight the good fight. Stay in there. Verse 7 says, I have fought the good fight. You know, Paul looked back on his his life without any sense of regret or sadness or unfulfillment. I mean, we need to learn to, to see his epitaph that I have fought the good fight, I have finished my course, I have, I, I have kept the faith. We need to see that and learn from that and emulate that. You know, a football game is a fair example of a terrific struggle for supremacy that Paul probably saw many times in the the Greek athletic games that was commonly seen in those first century stadium crowds. Today we have football. I mean, think about it. 106,000 people in Kyle Field yesterday. That's a lot of people. Those athletic games... Preparing for them and and trying to to struggle for supremacy. My point is this, is that if we as Christians would live our lives and we would serve the Lord Jesus with the same kind of intensity and purpose and, 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 and effort that is put into a football game, what glorifying lives we would lead for the Lord Jesus. I mean, think about that. They work and they train. They find the best recruits they can and they work so that they can be dominant in their sport and in their game. Do we do that? Or do we just kind of make no preparations and show up and we're going to shoot from the hip? There isn't anybody in college athletics that does that. No one. Not one team. It may look like it sometimes. But that's because other teams train hard. And they're ready. They showed up. Church, we got to show up. We got to train. This is a war that we're in. And it's waxing hot around us every single day. And many of us could care less. We're like Demas. We've checked out and we're in love with the world. John Piper 
He comments, he says, I don't think we should view fighting the fight and finishing the race as different from keeping the faith. In other words, it is keeping the faith when you're involved in the fight. If you're running the race, then you are keeping the faith. But if you're not, maybe you're not keeping the faith. See, as soldiers, we must endure hardness. That's what he says over in chapter 2, verse 3. Paul writes and he says, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Then again in, in verse 5 he says of chapter 4, he says, You, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Endure hardship. That means that we're going to face some difficult circumstances. Get ready. The enemy is bringing it. Difficult circumstances. I mean, Paul remained faithful even as he was facing the death penalty. He was imprisoned and going to die. He says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. In other words, they are going to kill me soon. My time for departure is at hand. Keep the faith. Fight the good fight. Stay in it. See, Paul's entire life had been given fully to the struggle. Even as Olympic athletes give their body and their mind and their spirit in ceaseless uh, strenuous conflict to their, to their sport. That's what Paul is saying here. He has been involved in this ceaseless, strenuous conflict, wrestling with Satan, wrestling with his demons, his minions, with evil men, with the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And even in his own flesh, he says in, in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, I discipline my body. I discipline my body and make it my slave. Should Timothy? Should Timothy do any less? Let me make it personal. Should we do anything less than what he's asking Timothy to do? Than what he is doing himself? I mean, we raise Paul up there as being, you know, one of those uh, uh, heroes of the faith, which indeed he is. But he didn't get there without effort. He put forth the effort. He was fighting the good fight. Because sometimes we encounter difficult people. But there's not difficult people in this room. But sometimes we encounter difficult people. And you know what I'm talking about. All of us encounter them. And sometimes people will disappoint us. I mean, Demas, verse 10, he, he talks about Demas. He says, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. See, at one point, Demas was a fellow worker. He was called a fellow worker. Someone working beside him. And then... Somewhere in the middle, he just became Demas. And then he became lover of the present world. 
there's this slow fade in Demas' life where he went from fellow worker to lover of this world. See, the lure of the world is, became irresistible to him and he abandoned Paul and the ministry. But we see here the basic principle that Jesus taught in his ministry. We see it here. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6. He said, no one. And literally he means absolutely no one. Can serve, present tense, as a lifestyle. You cannot, no one, absolutely no one, can serve as a lifestyle to masters. The word there is kurios. And it signifies one who has complete authority and control. Kurios, Lord. No one can serve as a lifestyle to masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold on to one and despise the other. You cannot as a lifestyle or continually serve God and mammon. God and wealth or your possessions. No man can serve that. No one absolutely cannot do that. Someone, so we see Demas here having loved the world, walks away from the ministry. A ministry which each one of us has. We all have a ministry. Some people will disappoint us. Some people will intentionally hurt us. Notice what he says about Alexander the coppersmith in 14, verse 14. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. There's a strong verb there. And what it means is to completely abandon or leave someone helpless in a dire situation to abandon someone or to leave them helpless in a dire situation that's what Alexander did to Paul and that's what he's writing about and that's why he says may it not be counted against them because he says remember the one who enlisted you Remember that it's the Lord Jesus that we serve. He's the one who gave his life for us. So he's encouraging Timothy to fight the good fight. Stay in there. Even though there may be difficult people, even though people may disappoint you, even though people may intentionally try to hurt you, fight the good fight. Stay in there. But Oh, we can get our feelings hurt so quickly, can't we? Well, that person didn't talk to me. I'm so upset about that. I'm just, I'm just not going to put up with that. They can't treat me like that. We get our feelings out here, out on our sleeve, and we, we, we feel like we got a chip on our shoulder, and we just, somebody doesn't look at us right, somebody doesn't speak to us, somebody slights us in some way. We're all bent out of shape. And I'm not going back. I'm just going to lay out of church for a while. Paul says, fight the good fight. Know who you signed up with. 
Because he's going to be the victor. It may not always look at it right here, right now, but he will be the victor. Fight the good fight. Paul also tells him to finish the course. <laughs> oh, man. Easier said than done. I mean, Paulo, Paul, Paulo, Paul followed the course that was laid out by the Lord for him. All the way to the end. And he tells Timothy, fulfill your ministry. We need to hear that in our ears today. Each one of us need to fulfill our ministry. My job is not to do all the ministry. My job is to equip you to do the ministry. So that means that you have the ministry. The ministry is in your hands. We work together in that. So finish the course. Listen, we, we are judged by what we finish, not what we start. We are judged by what we finish, not by what we start. Haddon Robinson said, it's easy to live a long life, at least in America. He said, look at the statistics. Out of every 100,000 people, 88,361, that's 88%, 88.3%, reach 50 years or more. More than 70,000 people make it to 70 and almost 17,000 get to be 85 or more. See, staying around a long time, however, should not be our primary goal. Rather, we should be concerned with the giving significance and value to all of our years. Not letting them end in shame or disgrace. We've got to finish the course. We've got to stay on it until we're done. See, how we finish the race depends a great deal on the pace that we set along the way. Joseph Wittig, he, he remarked that when we write people's biographies, we should start with their death, not their birth. After all, we have nothing to do with the way our life began. But we have a whole lot to do with the way it ends. When Paul wrote to Timothy, when he wrote this letter, 2 Timothy, he was in a Roman prison, dungeon really, awaiting execution. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. And at that moment, he could testify, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have, I love this, I have kept the faith. See, we too can end the Christian race well. Even if we began late, even if we started slow, even if we faltered along the way, but the secret is staying true to Christ. Amen. Staying in lockstep with Him. Staying true to Christ. You see, our lives are represented as a course laid out before us. A race, if you will, to be run. And the question we all need to ask ourselves is, am I running well? Am I running well? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. 
Have I laid aside every encumbrance, every unnecessary weight, every piece of baggage, anything that impedes my disciplining myself for godliness? Have I laid aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles me that I might not be able to run with endurance the race that is set before me? Have we laid aside that sin that weighs us down? Have we put all that stuff aside so that we can run the race? Because that's what it's going to take. We're running a marathon. You're not going to have your suitcase with you when you're running a marathon. You're going to be stripped down as light as you can possibly be to run that marathon. And you're going to have to run several marathons before you get to the race in order to be in training for it. But we show up all undisciplined, all soft, all flabby, and we think that we're going to run the race before us. Doesn't work that way. Not if you want to finish well. You got to train. You got to discipline this body and make it your slave so that you can accomplish the goal that is set before you. See, Vance Havner wrote this. He said, It was said of the great racehorse, man of war. Some horses led him on the first turn, and some horses led him on the backstretch. A few horses led him at the far turn, but no horse ever led him in the home stretch. See, some Christians nobly run at the start of the race, and some do well halfway through. But blessed is the person who makes a good finish. See, Paul's batting average is good to the end of the season. All the way through. I've finished my course. And the reason he can say that and the reason he knows that is because he knows that each one of us will have to give an account. I mean, that's what he says in verse 4, or excuse me, uh, verse 1. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead. He's going to give an account before the judge of his race, of what he's done. And so he says, therefore, we must keep the faith. Fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. Finish the course and keep the faith. See, the Apostle Paul warned Timothy that he would encounter people who had a strange ailment called itching ears. They wanted their ears to be tickled. I'm going to start plowing real close to the corn. So don't flinch. See, those who have this condition with the itchy ears. Sorry. They, um, they reject sound doctrine. They reject sound doctrine and they look for teaching that suits their desires. This is what that looks like. If someone is offended by Christ's declaration that there is no way to the Father except through me, then they're going to find someone 
a pastor who says that there are many ways to God. Because they don't want the truth. They've got, they want to have their ears tickled and they want to have their ears tickled according to their desire. Or some people that reject the biblical teaching that those who engage in sexual relationships outside of marriage are fornicators and adulterers whom God will judge. So they look for a teacher who says that the biblical standards in the Bible are not binding in today's world. I deplore what these people do. Having these itchy ears. But I'm afraid that I have itchy ears too. Oh, I love to hear strong affirmations of biblical standards. Sound doctrine. But I don't like to be confronted with Scripture about my own pride. I don't like to be confronted about my self-righteous attitudes or my lack of love for others. And neither do most of you. We have itchy ears. But listen. When we pierce people through with our self-righteous judgment and those stares that we give them when they come into our church? When we still have issues of prejudice in our church? When we don't see other people the way God sees them as dearly beloved souls that He cares about? No matter what they look like, where they come from, whatever job they have or don't have, then we got a problem. And it's our problem and it needs to be addressed. See, undoubtedly all of us have this sickness. And we need to ask the Lord to search our hearts. We need to ask Him to forgive us that He would change us. So that we can read His Word and listen to it and obey it. Because that's the only cure for itching ears. But what you need to understand is that itching ears eventually become deaf ears. Others may not endure. So why don't they endure sound doctrine? I'll tell you real simply, we don't want to hear the truth. If we're honest, if we're brutally honest, none of us want to hear the truth about ourselves. I mean, we don't want to hear that we're sinful. We don't want to hear that we're deprived. That we don't want to hear that we're dirty or unclean or selfish or immoral or unjust or unworthy or, or ever failing and always coming up short. None of us likes to hear that about ourselves. I mean, how do you feel right now just after me mentioning it? Nobody wants to think that they can do nothing to make themselves more acceptable to God. 
You know, as anyone who has ever shared the gospel with someone, they know all too well that most people do not like hearing that Jesus Christ is the only Savior. That Jesus Christ is the only mediator. That he is the, the only way to be saved. And when he says no one comes to the Father, Jesus means absolutely no one comes to the Father except through him. See, that's the message that the, the lost world despises. Because they think they can do it on their own. They think that somehow they can give enough money, somehow they can clean themselves up enough, somehow they can do the things that they need to do in order to be right with God. And the only thing that we can do to be right with God is to fall on our knees in repentance before Him and ask Him to forgive us of our sin. None of us are good enough. None of us. Scripture says, no, not one. See, these things are painful to unbelievers' ears and to their hearts. So much so that they refuse the liberating good news of the gospel. Paul encourages Timothy, he says, be watchful. Verse 5. He says, but you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Because listen, what we go after here determines where we go in the hereafter. What we go after here determines where we go hereafter. See, it's noteworthy that Paul was exemplifying the very task he charged Timothy with to fulfill. I mean, what a demonstration of discipleship that we have in Paul. To the very end of his life, a pattern that every disciple maker should seek to follow and to emulate. You know, Juan Ortez, he, he reminds us, <laughs> discipleship is more than just getting to know what the teacher knows. Discipleship is getting to be what the teacher is. We are to reproduce ourselves. I mean, think about this. There's a cost in following Jesus Christ. There's a cost to be paid, and the price is high. It costs to follow Jesus. But I want you to understand something else. It costs more to not follow Jesus. Every one of us ought to be running as hard as we can after Jesus Christ. Like we would at a football game when we're cheering on our team. When we pay big money for tickets. What if we were viewed that way? What if we were the ones that were, that were running hard after training ourselves so that we could be in the fight for our king? But don't be discouraged. Keep on plowing. Keep on planting. Keep on praying. That's what Paul is telling Timothy 
Don't ever quit. Don't ever quit. Keep at it. You know, there's a song about finding us faithful. It says this. It says, Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe and the lives that we live inspire them to obey. I was reading about a, an old symbol for the Moravian Brotherhood. They had as their, their symbol. And what it was, it had, a, it had an ox in the foreground. Kind of looked like a longhorn almost. An ox in the foreground. And on one side, was, this ox was standing between a plow on one side and an altar on the other. And across the bottom was the inscription, Ready? For either. Ready for either. That's true discipleship. Ready for service or sacrifice, whatever the Lord requires. See, having been bought with such a great price, even the precious blood of our Lord Jesus, we belong to Him. So whether it's sacrifice or service, it doesn't matter. He's already paid the price. And we're sealed and saved for all eternity. Hallelujah. We got nothing to lose. But everything to gain. Everything for our King. King Jesus. So out of love, it's our reasonable service to dedicate it all to him. I'm thankful for the opportunity that this church has to be salt and light in this community. I'm thankful that we're all different. I'm thankful that we look different and come from all different walks of life. I praise God for that kind of Diversity. What a blessing. Because if you all look like me all the time, that'd be pretty depressing. Thank you, brother. But we have a mighty Savior. Don't ever quit. And if you're here today and you've never given your heart to Jesus, you need to understand You've got everything to gain by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Oh, it's going to cost you. And it'll cost you everything. But the alternative is going to cost you more. Folks, we need a revival in our country. And that revival is going to start with the house of God. With the people of God getting on their knees before him and repenting. What about it? Are we ready for that? Because if we're not doing our part, I mean, don't get mad when unbelievers act like unbelievers. But I'm not going to give an account for them.
I'm going to give an account for me. And on that day, when I stand before the judge, when I stand before God Almighty, I'm going to have an advocate standing right beside me. And I'm going to be covered in his blood. And he's going to say, Dad, he belongs to me. I'm going to say, Hallelujah. Because I'm not going to get what I deserve. And if you know Jesus as your Savior, you won't get what you got coming either. And that's called grace. That's called mercy. Mercy.